I'm reading from Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 16, verses 17 through 27. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sopater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Corpus, send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. In the mid-18th century, um, we have the records of the different presbyteries that were part of the colonies at that time. And we have the unfortunate record of some of the discipline cases that had to take place. Um, one of those was a minister um, was caught going around with someone and was suspended from preaching for four Sundays. There was another minister who apparently got into a bar brawl and stabbed a man. And he was suspended from preaching for six months. Later, in another presbytery, a minister was caught bathing on the Sabbath in a river. And he was defrocked and removed from office. <laughs> um, I'm not sure about what that says about priorities. Uh, <laughs> of the early um, presbyteries or the, the uh, equality among the presbyteries. But we don't, we don't have as many discipline cases, um, certainly not for the same um, situation. We don't, we don't like to talk about order. We don't like to talk about um, the need to address and confront um, things done wrong in churches. And so our, our, we come to our final vow as we work through the list of vows that we make. And um, we do so remembering that being part of a community, being part of a fellowship means being accountable to one another, being 
in agreement about how we will organize our common life together. I mean, the, the fact is, if, you, if you've been in any group, if you have 10 people in a room, you have 11 ideas of how the best way to do something is. You, you, you realize that to be organized, you have to come to an agreement that some people will make decisions and the rest of us agree to go with those decisions. And you recognize that there will be times that people don't follow um, what they've agreed to follow, don't do what they say they'll do. And accountability has to be part of any organization for it to be maintained. We are reminded in, in this letter to the Romans, as he's closing out, as he's giving his final greetings, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Um, sometimes we have a romantic notion about how wonderful it must have been in the early church. But as you read through Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, you, you're, you see that there are divisions coming in immediately. There's disagreements that come in immediately. There's conflict that comes in. There's people who profess to follow Christ and live in a way that's not compatible with that and have to be confronted. And so um, the scriptures guide us in how we deal with that. And we recognize that need as we come into membership, as we receive members, as we become part of, formally part of this community. We do so by vowing um, to submit ourselves to the government and discipline of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church and to the spiritual oversight of this church session, and we further promise to promote the, pure, the unity, purity, and peace of the church. We're at a time that we, we distrust authority. We don't like the idea of submitting. We like the idea of making our own decisions. We like the idea of individuals choosing. And the idea of having to submit, having to recognize authority, is pretty foreign to us as Americans. But it's not foreign to the scriptures. And so we need to look at what we're saying that we will do in our life together, in submitting, in, in obeying, in um, promoting the peace, unity, and purity of the church. As we, we take these vows, um, we're doing two things. First, we recognize the need for order. Presbyterians are good at doing things decently and in order. Our, our knee-jerk reaction is form a committee. You know, we, we, we have books of orders, and we like to revise those books of orders. And We recognize the need for order. We recognize the need for structure. We also recognize the need for accountability. So the two things that we're, we're voting is, or we're bound to do is to submit to order and submit to accountability. Um, it does sound harsh to say submit to the government of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. But in essence, what we're doing in this vow is that we recognize um, there is an agreed-upon structure and rules for doing things. We agree that we will follow the book of order. We recognize that we will agree to mutual accountability. We recognize that there is a certain structure to our decision-making that we won't go against. We recognize that there is a method prescribed for calling a minister, for choosing officers, and a process for correcting errors. 
And we are essentially saying that we will abide by these rules, that we're voluntarily coming into this organization. We've, we've structured how to do things. And so when it's time to elect new um, elders or deacons, we don't come up and say, hang on, how about this time um, we just let so-and-so pick them? Or how about this time all the congregation come together and we do it this way? Or how about instead of the, um, the session... Um, doing something with property, why don't we all come together and we'll vote on the color of the carpet. We, we realize there's a structure in the way we do things as Presbyterians that we agree that we will abide by, um, that we won't question the fundamental structure of the church, that we will obey by the, you know, follow the decisions of the leadership that we elect to represent us and elect to be over us in the Lord. Um, I understand, or I think I have this right, I understand that, you know, there, there was a time... Um, the Sunday school curriculum that was being received was um, questioned by the session and a decision was made to go with another publisher. A perfect example of the session recognizing the need to, to oversee the spiritual life of the congregation and making the decision. And, and what we're saying is we will abide by that. But then we do the So then we come to this passage or this part of the vow. The spiritual oversight of this session. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We recognize that in choosing elders, in choosing those who oversee the work of the church, we're not simply choosing a board of directors. We're not just choosing people who are good, merely good leaders. But we are recognizing a call on God's, among God's people of people who will oversee our collective spiritual life. I want to say a few things about that. As a minister, I pause every time I read as those who will have to give an account. I'm terrified when I come to James 3, 1 that says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Leadership in God's church is a type of servant leadership. There is authority. There is the place for those who make decisions. But it is clear that they are held to a higher standard. It's clear that they are called not to lord that position over others, but to serve as Christ served. When I was, uh, I think probably the first church office I ever had was president of the youth fellowship. I was so proud. I'm president of something. My chest got real. Then the first, it was a collection of churches that came together every fifth Sunday. And I, was, I was president. Um, I was excited. I was going to I think I was probably like 16, wanted to get cards printed up or something. Then I realized, oh, hang on, that means you got to get the potato chips and set out the chairs. <laughs> and you got to clean them up when everybody leaves because church leadership is servant leadership. It is also collegial leadership. Decisions in the church are done as part of the session. One of the reasons we have a session is we understand that elders who lead, elders who make decisions, elders who do these things, including... Maybe especially the teaching elder, the pastor, are fallible human sinners. And so to, to recognize that we are sinners, to recognize that we make mistakes, is that we do all things as a body, as a group. 
Many things done maybe in other churches alone by the pastor are not done in our church because we recognize how sinful people are. And we recognize that we do this collectively as a body of people who are representing the church. We exercise this authority collegially. Because if you can get anybody in the church to agree on anything, there's a pretty good chance they're going along the right path. For a session to do things, they do it together. We do it together. And so the question I ask is, when, when we choose elders, are we thinking spiritual oversight, people with maturity, scriptural understanding, fruit of the Spirit evident in their life to provide the leadership necessary for us? Ask the elders in the church, do you see this? Do you see the need to recognize how we should pause as we hear this as those who have to give an account? Let me step back and say that the obedience that is called for here, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Immediately, my defenses get up and say, hang on, are you serious? But the obedience that is called for is the Greek word pithiste. There, That's my one Greek word of the year. I had a seminary professor tell me, use one Greek word a year so they know you can read um, through here. Uh, don't do it again, so... Y'all, if I do it again in 2012, let me know. But the word there, it does not mean that you submit blindly to directions of others. The the obedience that is called for is not that the elder said it, I have to do it. The pastor said it, it must be right. The obedience that is called for is the obedience of persuasion. You've been persuaded this correct. And so the type of obedience and submission means that when something is brought forward, it's explained from the scriptures. It's been backed up with a way that it's not just a tyrannical authority, but God's will is made known from the word in such a way that you are persuaded that is correct. When it gets down to it, the only authority any church officer has is the authority of proclaiming God's word, of proclaiming this is what God says, what the scriptures say, and to that we must always be obedient. This obedience is one that if we do see that the scriptures are calling us to live a certain way or to do a certain thing or follow a certain path, we should obey. But we recognize, and, and this is probably one of my favorite passages from the Westminster Confession of Faith, that God alone is the Lord of the conscience. That means each one of us is responsible to obey God, not because we blindly follow what a church officer says, but we come with our own understanding to see what this book says, and we agree to follow authority that's based under the authority of Scripture. Um, Every vow that we've talked about, every vow that we looked over in the past few weeks would be useless if we don't have a means for holding each other accountable. The final vow is to say that we will do these things, and if we don't, we can be called to task for it. Being in community with a commitment to one another, to have a real relationship, to have a true fellowship with each other, means the possibility of being told no. It means the possibility of somebody saying that um, we are wrong, or that we're out of line, or that we disagree, or we're just going to do it another way. And that's in true in any relationship. You know, 
you can love somebody, have everything in agreement with them, and you find that there is disagreement, that, that there's times that we realize that we are not um, maybe as good as we think, that we don't have the understanding that we think we need. But note, we don't go around judging. We don't go around on others and say, um, you know, you're doing this wrong. Thus says the Lord, don't do this. We, we don't get picket signs out. Um, we don't make trips to New Orleans and have our signs out of what people are doing wrong. Church discipline is only over those who have voluntarily come and said, I want to be part of this group. And I'm placing myself in a position of being held accountable through you. We hold one another accountable. We hold each other to, are we following Christ as we said we would? And to promise to support and participate only as long as we feel like it is no promise at all. To vow to endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ if useless, is useless if I alone am allowed to define what a follower of Christ looks like. I need brothers and sisters to say that was awfully arrogant, that was awfully prideful, that's awfully stingy. We need one another to hold us to account to what it means. And ultimately, this at times comes to the place of corrective love, of church discipline, of the church through her structures telling someone, this is out of line, this is wrong, you need to repent. The true church, as um, the reformers understood it, is one where the gospel is proclaimed, the sacraments are administered, and church discipline is enforced, um, where people are held to account. It's scriptural. Galatians 6.1 says, if someone sins, you who are spiritual can confront them. Matthew 18, um, 15 through 20, Jesus lays out the process of confronting someone who is scandalously, publicly bringing shame on the community. He, he goes down through the way that's done by an individual going to an individual who's been offended and, and trying to work it out. And if it, it doesn't, you go and take someone else with you. And if that doesn't work, to go to the full church um, to bring someone to an understanding that this is wrong. It's out of line. It's not following the way of Christ. And for the church to be the church, we must hold one another accountable. I often hear um, folks say that none of us are in a position to judge. You know, Jesus did say, don't judge lest you be judged. But it was Jesus himself who said, if a brother sins against you, go to him. It is Christ who tells us that we must maintain this accountability within the church if our vows are to have any meaning. And I find it ironic that as, as, as much as we resist that and as much as we like, don't like the idea of people getting in our business or telling us something is wrong, how often we reverse what Jesus said. How often, rather than going to confront someone, rather than going and trying to work it out, we immediately go to everybody else. Usually, don't tell anyone this, but... I'm not in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church in great part 
because of my pastor. When I was a candidate for the ministry, um, he was also um, my mentor from the committee over presbytery. I won't go into the details of the sin. I went to my presbytery and explained to them the position I was being put in as a member of the church, as someone trying to come up with someone who held something over me and could, um, or held authority over my position in the church. I laid out the case for them, and it was ignored. What got back to me was we're talking about someone's career here. And I watched him ruin the credibility of my home church. I've not been able to worship with them. And I've watched that pattern in many churches. Where people are hurt. Where people are dealt with wrong by church leaders, church officers. And too often, they're not wanted to be confronted. Too often, the thought is, we'll let it blow over. We might lose them. We might hurt their feelings. And I've watched families after families leave churches. I've watched people after people probably never return to a church again. Because the lack of someone holding someone else in the church accountable for their sin It sounds harsh. It sounds judgmental to go and say that we must hold one another accountable. But how horrible it is that we let others hurt from our weakness, from our not wanting to confront someone, and often because we don't want to confront our own sins. Church discipline is harsh, but it's not near as harsh as the results of not exercising it. We finally um, promise to promote the peace, unity, and purity of the church. And I just want to say one thing there. That means we don't say we'll just submit. We don't mean we'll just abide. But it means that we will do everything in our power to maintain our fellowship with one another, to maintain the unity and the peace of being together. And that's done by when someone comes to you, <laughs> not spreading it. That comes when, when difficulty tries, not blowing it up, but, but working through. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Let us pray. God, we um, we know we're in a time of um, difficulty to um, hold people accountable. Lord, we know it's difficult to um, put ourselves in a place of appearing to be self-righteous, of appearing to be judgmental. But God, we admit um, we are all sinners. We admit that we need your word to guide us. And we admit that we need um, 
your wisdom and your humility to not only proclaim a true gospel, to not only celebrate the sacraments rightly, but also um, to pursue a holy life and a pure church through recognizing the need to be accountable to one another because ultimately accountable to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.